This episode of the 3D Insights podcast is sponsored by Semi Europe. Semi Europe is the European arm of Semi, the global industry association representing the electronics manufacturing and design supply chain, connecting more than 3,000 members and 1.3 million professionals worldwide. Learn more at semi.org/eu. Hi there. I'm Francoise Von Trapp, and this is the 3D Insights Podcast. Hi, everyone. This week, we are in Munich, Germany at Semicon Europa, talking to our community members who are participating at the event this year. Now, our booth is located right next to what they're calling the technology playground. So if you're hearing some noise in the background, that's the air hockey table. So just keep that in mind. Anyhow... My first guest this week is Peter Dijkstra, who represents Trimex Semiconductor. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. Good morning. It's so good to see you again. Yeah, like, like some of the, the visitors said this morning, uh, stay in good health and see you again next year. Yeah, well, <laughs> but we're just opening, so yeah. we'll probably see you more this week at yep. some of the booth parties later. And yep. Yeah, okay. You know, last time we spoke was in July at Semicon West, and you were talking about the opening of Trimax USA, driven by the push to onshore manufacturing in the U.S. Are there any updates on that since some of the money has already been allocated to companies participating in the microelectronics commons? We have opened our office. Mm -hmm. Everything is running now uh, full speed. I think we hired a very experienced guy by the name of uh, Gary Murphy. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that that looks the whole United States knows him. So that's very positive for us. He's doing a lot of visits, a lot of traveling. So the business is starting up. What is disappointing is that uh, the U.S. Chip Act uh, was about to release money. And if you talk to all the companies, we created a huge amount of quotations. Mm -hmm. But there's no money. And they companies, they said that if they talk to the, the government, mm -hmm. it needs to be approved by the, I think, U.S. government and by the local states in order to supply the money. And it is delayed and delayed and delayed. And I think that's not a good sign for a lot of companies. No, that's not a good sign. I do know that they released some funds to these different initiatives mm -hmm. and, and selected some to be funded. So maybe you'll see a change in that coming up soon. What we hear from our customers is that it will be early next year that the money will okay. be released. Yeah. So, okay. that's, uh, so in the meantime, what do you do? Just wait or business as usual in the rest of the world? No, we have uh, Trimax, no time to wait. So we are very uh, say, uh, ambitious, very motivated, visiting a lot of customers, show what we can do, show what we want to do, mm -hmm. show our roadmap. So it's, uh, no, it, it's quite positive. And let's okay. say, I, I will not use the word hectic at Trimax, but uh, let's say uh, it, it's fun to see that... Uh, we are yeah. taking our place at the moment, and not only in the United States, but also in Europe. You know, right. we are close to the car manufacturers, and, and the automotive, as, as you know, is, is booming at the moment. Right. So that's, uh, that's good news for Trimax. That is good news for Trimax. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Semi just released a market report predicting that 2024 will be one of recovery. So does that kind of track with what you're seeing? We also noticed a downturn for the last uh, four or five quarters, and mm -hmm. we see that the third quarter is coming back again. And we expect that the fourth quarter is even better. That, uh, so we already can see with the order intake that it's coming back at the moment. Well, that's great news. Yeah. yeah. So you were talking to me before we got on the mics about an initiative you're involved in that's happening in Phoenix. Can yep. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's the first week of December. There will be an, uh, a Dutch and Belgium trade mission. Uh, both prime ministers from Belgium and Holland will participate. Uh, some uh, ministers will participate. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to be part of that. It's mm -hmm. my invitation. So uh, I, I think it's another compliment for Trimax that we are invited to participate. 
and uh, let's see what the outcome is. So what will be the expectation for your involvement there? For me, it's mainly and for Trimix networking. Mm-hmm, okay. So we will visit. It is a fixed program. You have to. Uh, you will visit some big companies like AMD, like Intel, like uh, what's the other one? NXP, maybe. I know we have NXP in Phoenix since yeah, we're based I, in I Phoenix. I didn't see them on the list because okay. it's a Dutch company, so right, I exactly. think we can visit them at home. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. So this is the first day of Semicon Europa, so it may be early to ask you how the show is for you since we've only been open for about an hour. Um, but what's your focus here this week? It's more networking at mm-hmm. the moment. Mm-hmm. So we will not sell any machine like in early days. Mm-hmm. But I think it's good to say hello to the people, to the customers. We have a lot of meetings already scheduled, mm-hmm. so it's a, a busy day. We started already this morning at 7.30. Oh, wow. Down here with the yep. first meetings. So it, no, it's, it, it's a busy schedule, so I'm, uh, I'm quite pleased. Any new equipment that you're promoting? Not promoting, but working on it in the background. So okay. uh, as soon as it will be released, I hope next time I can tell you more about it. But okay. there are a lot of uh, joint development programs ongoing for uh, releasing new type of processes and new type of equipment. Yeah. Okay, well, great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for the invitation. Okay. Good to see you again. I'm speaking with Mike Motherway of Symmetrics by PDF Solutions. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Francois. Happy to be here. This is the first time you've been on the podcast. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Symmetrics? Yes, sure. Uh, I am the product owner at Symmetrics for our latest set of products, uh, a platform we call Sapiens. We'll get into that later. Okay. Uh, and my background is uh, first in manufacturing. I spent a good 20 years at Motorola and Texas Instruments working inside factories, inside fabs. Uh, but in the last 10 years, I've spent in software development, mainly e-commerce, where I learned really how software is made in the real world. E-commerce was a very good introduction and education to uh, how software is built these days, mm-hmm. how it's deployed, uh, and you know, and, and how these industries are using these uh, new technologies that have been gifted to us by the open source community, which mm-hmm. I'm a proud member. Uh, so I've adopted that sort of mindset, and mm-hmm. now... Uh, you know, now that I've been with Symmetrics for the last five years, we're trying to bring these things together in manufacturing with these new technologies that the software yeah. industry has created. I would imagine that at this point, software is so critical to the whole semiconductor manufacturing process. More and more so. As yes. data becomes more important and equipment talking to other pieces of equipment. Right. Yeah, right. automation has always been there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, you know, with AI and ML, data is King. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, software drives that. You know, our industry is, is really driving the semiconductor yeah, into the forefront. Okay. Yeah. So you're a U.S.-based company. Yes. The CHIPS Act funding is mm-hmm. just being allocated. Um, how is this impacting the company? Well, we're building fabs, right? Uh, you know, I've been reading reports where there are an estimated 60 fabs being built. In, in, in the U.S.? In, not in or the U.S., worldwide. Globally. So this is okay. CHIPS Act, the European so, version. Okay, so not just the U.S. CHIPS Act. We're also talking about the EU CHIPS Act and right. other ones yeah. that are going so on. So that's a large source of funding that is, you know, that is exploding the number of fabs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, uh, the, the latest fabs that are going up, like I said, minimum 60, maybe 90 new fabs going up. Yeah, so and I also heard change. this morning from Ajit Manocha that, to reach a trillion dollars by the end of the decade, we're going to need, I think he said, 
and I'm going to check this, 100 new fabs in yeah, addition so, to the ones that are being built. So I think, that's, yeah. yeah, that's right in line with you know the numbers that I was reading. And so that has been a boon to us. There's, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of new technology going in those fabs. I mm-hmm. think you know, these companies are rethinking how they're deploying their software and mm-hmm. what kind of architectures they're interested in, in using. And so that is uh, a big driver for our newest products. Okay. So why don't you tell me about your new platform then? You mentioned Sapiens. Right. Yeah, Sapiens is our newest product, as I mentioned. Uh, we at Symmetrics, our forte really, our niche is machine communications. Mm-hmm. So we know how to talk to machines. Mm-hmm. We have developed uh, a number of uh, software development kits that help machine vendors, tool vendors, uh, implement protocol standards like GEM and EDA Interface A. Uh, and we in the Sapiens team have got uh, communication protocol connectors for all of the other protocols that are quite popular, in, you know, OPC, MQTT, Kafka. So the Sapiens tool will enable communications to all these various types of equipment on the factory floor and provide them in a unique way that is very easy for applications developer, developers using consumed data. So they don't application developers don't have to know GEM, they don't have to know interface A, MQTT, all of these protocols. They just consume the data in a very simple way, and they're able to spin up new applications, AI, ML, ML mm-hmm. applications, mm-hmm. and others very, very quickly. And AI is becoming very important to the factory floor. Extremely important. This is an enabler. The, the Sapiens data platform enables all of these new data pipelines, which produce a lot of data, very high rates, and just enable these applications. And so we've got a few applications that we've developed on top of the platform, but we're working with our customers and third-party developers uh, to create more applications and bring them to the shop floor. So this is a software platform. That's correct. Yes. So how do people access it? There's a, another standard called Open API, which is a standard where you can publish APIs for you know software de- any software developer mm-hmm. to use. So there's a standard documentation. We use a tool called Swagger that allows uh, you know again application developers to come in and use these uh, interfaces to to consume data. And so that's what the pat- platform ultimately provides. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a lot of that heavy protocol work under the under the cover, so to speak. But the interface is a public API interface that application developers can use to consume data very, very quickly. So, so this is cloud-based then? It's cloud-native. Cloud-native. Which means, yeah, it can what be. What does the, that mean? So cloud-native is, uh, is a term. It refers to an architecture, uh, sort of a new way of developing software programs. Uh, applications that reside on the cloud typically, but mm-hmm. don't have to reside there. They can reside in your own data center, what we call on-premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can reside on a laptop. Uh, I've seen these apps deployed, what we call on edge, mm-hmm. uh, which is a small computer next to a machine. It can be a very small computer, like a Raspberry Pi, okay. you know, yeah. that you can buy for $30 on Amazon. So cloud native is an architecture that allows you to deploy these things really anywhere on your phone, on a laptop, or more typically in a data center or cloud environment. So what are the advantages of cloud native? So that's interesting. Last week I was at a conference called KubeCon, which mm-hmm. is a software developers conference. And uh, KubeCon refers to uh, a new application service called Kubernetes, mm-hmm. which is a tool that our friends at Google have 
given to the open source community. Folks like myself use this now to deploy our apps. It's a tool that allows you to scale your applications from very small, you know, Raspberry Pi or laptop size up to thousands of nodes large enough to run open AI, you know, these, these new large language models. So it's a tool that orchestrates the scaling of an application from very, very small to whatever size you need, thousands of nodes. And that is a very powerful tool for software developers like myself who yeah. are trying to figure out how to get our applications into small factories, big factories, and everything in between. Okay, so now we're taking the processing off of the PC and putting right. it into the cloud. That's correct. Yeah. And so does that help from an energy perspective? It does, yeah. Because, again, because these things scale mm -hmm. in an elastic fashion, and, and what that means is if you're not running your factory on a third shift, say, it will automatically scale down. Kubernetes will scale down mm -hmm. your the footprint of your application down to, well, zero if needed. Uh, and then when your first shift comes in at 7 a.m., within milliseconds, you'll begin scaling up. And so you can imagine that that's a huge cost savings in terms of you know, just electricity, power, right, cooling, right. everything else. Uh, you don't need engineers to go in there and manually tweak and tune this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, in the software industry, we say we treat these things, these software resources and computers, we treat them like cattle instead of pets. So we don't name them anymore. We don't tune them. We don't you know, pet them and stroke them. We just, when we don't need them, we kill them off and they go to sleep. And when we need them... We, you know, bring them to life, and so it's sort of the cattle versus pets analogy. Okay. So before we got on the mics, I was asking you, yeah, we're hearing a lot about companies like Intel and NVIDIA mm. developing um, AI-enabled PCs. Yes. How does that play into what you're doing? So those AI-enabled PCs are what we would call an edge device. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's some computing that still needs to happen on the shop floor, close okay. to the machines. Those are inference engines. Okay. Uh, and so they're a small piece of the compute workload that's required for an AI application. That machine learning inference needs typically needs to happen in real time next to the machine. And so those AI-enabled PCs and other devices will run very efficiently, just a small, uh, uh, you know, little application that will handle the, the inference, just the mm -hmm. statistical work that has to happen on the shop floor. But other, the really heavy work, the training mm -hmm. of those AI, those ML modules, that happens typically in a cloud where these elastic compute resources available to you are almost infinite, right? You can scale up to as large as you need. Uh, when you're doing these training. Okay, so does Sapiens leverage both of these together? Yes. So Sapiens, yeah. So Sapiens will provide the data off the machine mm -hmm. and in real time, so you're at least in internet time, so you can run these inference models close to the machine. And then obviously that data is then in parallel piped into the cloud or your data center or whatever, uh, where the, you know, the, the, the training and the, okay. and the model updates occur. Does that Excellent. make sense? Yeah, it does yeah. make sense. Where can people go to find out more? Symmetrics.com. Yeah, send okay. them to our website, and uh, we have some data there on Sapiens. Or just you know, and I'm linked there too. You can give me a call. Anyone Put your LinkedIn team. information. My LinkedIn information is there. Yeah, okay. my phone number is there. <laughs> okay. Uh, email. It's yeah, it's all there. So, okay, great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank okay. you, Francois. It's a pleasure. Take it's care. Fun. Yeah, thank you. 
So here we are at the ERS booth at Semicon Europa, and we're having breakfast, which is lovely. It's a lovely Weisswurst and beer and pretzel breakfast, and that's how they do it in Bavaria. And I'm speaking with Debbie Claire Sanchez of ERS. Welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Thank you for having me, and good morning. Good morning. Last time we talked, I think, was probably at ECTC, correct? So I wanted to talk to you about a partnership that you have with one of our other member companies called PulseForge. And can you tell me a little bit about their technology that you're integrating into your systems? Sure. As you know, ERS is doing thermal debonding. This is our flagship system. So we are already in the debonding space. And with PulseForge new technology, they are doing photonic debonding. And this aligns with our desire to increase our portfolio, going from thermal to a different form of debonding. And with photonic debonding, it allows us to debond on glass carrier, on process that is more high-end compared to what thermal debonding is currently catering. This really aligns to what we would like to do in terms of offering debonding methodologies for the advanced packaging space. Can you explain to us the difference between the thermal debonding that you currently do and the photonic debonding? Photonic debonding still has a thermal aspect to it. It uses a flash lamp to heat that light-absorbing layer and debond the wafer from the carrier. Whereas with thermal debonding, we use a full-contact heat. So you need a, a certain thermally conductive material, which is carrier in this case, to heat up the adhesive in between the carrier and the tape. There's quite a big difference between the process. Thermal debonding is limited to using uh, metal carriers, while photonic debonding, we can use glass carriers. So one of the things I had spoken to PulseForge about was how, in a comparison with laser debonding, so you've skipped right over laser debonding and gone right to the photonic debonding. Why is that? We saw quite a big advantage of photonic debonding. One key point is that it's agnostic to bonding solutions. So with laser, you have to be very specific with what bonding material you use. But with photonic debonding, you can go from normal bonding materials to to polyimid and to other types. Even what we use in thermal debonding can be used for photonic debonding. So this is really something that's bigger in scope, and we think it has more advantages compared to what laser debonding can offer. Okay, and so what would you say would be the target applications for this more advanced debonding process? Anything that you can think of that does temporary bonding and debonding, it can go from room temperature material to high temperature material like polyimid. It helps us capture bigger market. Like before with thermal debonding, we are mostly in core fan out structure. Now we can do high end or high density fan out. We can do RDL first and we can do compound semiconductor with the TBDB kind of process where they have to attach it on a carrier for thinning process, which normally we never do in thermal debonding. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks so much. We're excited to see where this goes. Thank you so much. And enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. And enjoy the breakfast. Thank you. It was delicious. 
So I'm here with our member company, ACM Research, and I'm speaking with David Wong, who is CEO, and Jim Strauss, who heads up the North American division of the company, I believe. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. North America and Europe. And, and Southeast Asia. Okay, well, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. And uh, before we dive in, can you just give me a little bit of background of your role at the company, David? Yes, I'm the founder and the CEO of ACM Research. So basically, you know, take care of general business, and uh, I may take care of all the expansion ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now we have a um, R&D manufacturer in China, in Korea. And uh, also, we have a customer, you know, global, right? Okay. Customer in U.S. We got recent uh, shipped the first tool uh, to the Europe, mm-hmm. and uh, also continue expanding our customer base, you know, in, in China, also in the open world. Okay. And Jim, how, what's your role? So I'm head of sales and service for uh, North America, Europe, um, and Southeast Asia. Basically, everything out of outside of China, Korea, and Taiwan. So. I lead the team that mm-hmm. sells the equipment into our new customers. And really, these are all new customers for us over the last um, three years. Okay. So, uh, uh, again, we're trying to grow the rest of the world business mm-hmm. to be as successful as the China business. Great. Okay. So, you're here at the show. How has it been for you this year? So far, it's been very busy. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we've had a lot of customer meetings, uh, a lot of interest from people just walking by the booth and stopping and, and asking questions, uh, both customers and suppliers. So uh, I, th- I think it's, a, it's it's been a very good show. It's a good place to meet everybody that is important to your supply chain. Exactly. Okay. How about you, David? Any, anything surprising you this year? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, this is the first time I've been here. Oh, really? Okay. And the uh, other time, my all other sales guy being here. But the real... I mean, I feel very, very happy here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see their, you know, existing customer. Also, we see new potential customer. Also, say a lot of a supplier. So, anyway, it's a good show. It is a good show for yeah. you. And what are you showcasing that's new? You know, we're equipment manufacturer. Right. And we have a cleaning tool. We have a cover plating. Also, we have a vertical furnace and just getting the market. Also, we're developing the PCBD and the track system. Right. Okay. So, um, we, we, we put our, you know, focus also on the European market. Okay. So, um, we were talking before we got on the mics about a new offering you have in the chiplet space. Can you talk about that a little bit? Great. Yeah. And actually, we have probably, we are the, you know, only one company in the world have a wider spread of their wet process tool. Mm-hmm. So, I can give an example. We do have a coder, developer. Uh, PR stripper, wet etcher, and cleaning. And also, we have very important uh, cover plating tool. 
right? Horizontal copper plating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, what do you mean by horizontal copper plating? Okay, well, there's a little bit of the, you know, very, um, I call the uh, uh, special terminology. In the plating, in general dividing, we have a two types. Mm -hmm. One is a vertical type, which is you immersion or the substrate in the tank. Mm -hmm. And then another one called horizontal, mean that is uh, your wafer is in horizontal shape in a rotation mode. Okay. But you're still touching the liquid in the chamber. I see. Okay. Yeah. And what would be a good application for that? Oh, wow. I mean, this uh, copper, you know, 3D or this 2.5D or fan out mm -hmm. or whatever, chiplet, they need their, this copper plating to plate their, you know, copper pillar mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to plate in TSV, right? We're connecting uh, your GPU and with, uh, you know, high brand memory and all this connection, you need to make a chiplet, right? Okay. So that's a real important uh, product is this copper plating. Okay, yeah. great. Great. Now, one of the other things that you've recently um, expanded your facility in Shanghai? Oh, actually, we're expanding Shanghai facility and we're already, you know, in the final phase, build up their almost the 1.3 million square feet of their R&D and the manufacturing space. It's going to probably ending, finish, well, complete, uh, there's a construction uh, maybe early next year, right? Okay. Uh, meanwhile, also expanding our Korean operation. Uh, we do have uh, about uh, 3,000 3, square meter um, manufacturing R&D in Korea. And also, we'll continue expanding in Korea, too. Right. Okay. Uh, maybe I can ask you know, Jim talk about the other spending in the U.S. Yes, so, um, I was just going to do that. Jim, <laughs> tell me about expansion in the U.S. <laughs> so we, we have opened, and actually uh, two weeks from now, we'll have our grand opening for our new office uh, in uh, the Portland area. Um, so that office will be uh, administrative space, mm -hmm. warehouse space, and then ultimately we'll have clean room space for demo tools. For demo tools. Uh, and but all the tools are manufactured in Asia. This moment, Asia, and I say most like, mostly in, the, in the China, Shanghai, but mm -hmm. also we're also Porsche made in Korea right now. Okay. But again, uh, the, the main thing about that is access to the demo tools mm -hmm. for North America and Europe right. tools without having to go to China. Right. right. So it's a, it's a big deal. Right. Oh, no, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about Ajit Manocha was talking about all of the expansion that's needed and how many more fabs we're going to need to reach a trillion dollars because that's the big topic, right? Right. And so it's good to see that you're well positioned to increase your capacity because all of those fabs that are going to be being constructed in the next few years are going to need tools. So I'm um, happy to hear you guys are headed in that direction. Thanks, French Thanks. Well, thanks for joining me, and uh, I thank you for your time. Thank, thank you, you very much. So I am here speaking with Hans Peters and Emerald Gregg of our member company, PTW Group. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us today. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we're kind of wrapping up the end of Semicon Europa. It's day three. Um, so how has the show been for you this week? Um, I've been pleasantly surprised. Tuesday, foot traffic was uh, pretty good. And then yesterday, I thought was even better. So we yeah. had a lot of customers uh, meet with us. And as I've always told a lot of people, we come very prepared for these shows. We uh, make sure we have appointments and what mm -hmm. day people are going to show up. So we have the right people in our booths to talk to them. And That is very good planning. 
This week's theme at Semicon Europa is about shaping a sustainable trillion-dollar era. So what is PTW's role in this? Well, what, what we are doing is we are also developing upgrades. So, for example, one of the upgrades is uh, the so-called InnoSpray nozzle, which um, helps our users or our customers to reduce significantly the amount of uh, developer media. Mm -hmm. This is not only saving hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in, in cost, mm -hmm. but it's also reducing the, the waste. And these are developer chemistries are not very environmentally friendly. Right. So. so at least if we reduce the amount of them that we use, we're putting less out there in the industry. Less waste. Yes. Less right. waste, okay. And is this a part that you are able to put on all of the wet processing tools? It's um, specifically for the uh, developer of the, the resist developing process step. Coder developer Coder tracks. developer, okay. Wow. Anyhow, what is the latest news that you're sharing this week? So what's new for PTW Group is that we um, took back the the founder from SEZ and Egon Putzi and the former CTO Hans Grovinius to set up a new spin etcher tool to um, basically fulfill the demand of the market for uh, single wafer spin edge tools. So there was a gap? Yeah, we have a lot of customers that are looking basically to keep the older SEZ tools uh, running, right? The 203s, the 223s, and there are probably like uh, two, three thousand of, of these tools still installed and, and being productive. It's getting more and more difficult to get parts to um, keep these tools alive. And um, many companies want to have a capacity extension and don't want to um, re-qualify all the processes. So mm -hmm. our take on this is that we are going to make it very easy to transfer these processes and the recipes um, on that new spin etcher. Okay, so let's back up a little bit because our listeners might not be aware of the whole history. Now, so PTW Group is focuses on refurbishment. Yeah, of so what we have is reuse, refurb, renew, and recycle. And so how I look at this is the renew part. Mm -hmm. So Spintech um, has just been kind of softly introduced. We're mm -hmm. talking to customers right now. And as Hans said, Egon has come out of retirement. Mm -hmm. Hans Karenis has come out of retirement, and they're uh, developing um, this new tool that has new robots, new spin motors, uh, new controller, new software, and fabs, you know, in this last, what, 10, 15 years have had difficulty in getting spare parts, mm -hmm. service, uptime, and um, we're really just meeting the demand of the customer. Okay. So, SEZ where these two people have come out of yeah. retirement from was acquired probably by LAM research, research, like I think in 2009. Um, so the tools I would imagine had been serviced by LAM up yes. until. Up to a certain point. To, yes. to a certain point. So these are the single wet wafer tools. Right. Yes. And had they been retired? No, there's 50, like like Khan said, there's about 2,000 probably still installed in so, these legacy fabs. So can you take those legacy tools and with this new company, Spintech, can you upgrade the existing systems that are in the field? 
So what the plan is uh, to either exchange them or take one back, um, exchange it with a new one and refurbish um, the older ones or keep the, the parts to keep the, the older ones alive. Okay. Yeah. Last time we spoke, we were in the middle of a secondary equipment shortage. Can you talk about that a little bit? Is, are we still there or have things changed a little bit? Oh, it's there's still a shortage mm-hmm. of 200 millimeter, even 150 millimeter yeah. equipment. Um, but not only is there a shortage of the tool itself, there's a shortage of the spare parts and the accessories that need to keep them running. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so this will solve those problems. Okay. But this is a new tool that Brand you're putting new tool. into. Brand okay. new right. tool. Yeah. So this right. is kind of a deviation from what you're usually doing. Right, and that's driven by our customers. Okay. So right. our this customers ask us to, to help them out and, and okay. we are addressing the, the, the market need. Okay. And is, it, is this a 200 millimeter tool then? It's four, six, eight inch. Four, six, eight inch. Okay. Excellent. Well, that's really exciting. I can't wait to hear. We're totally where excited this goes. about it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It was great talking to you and we will catch up next time. Thanks. Thanks a lot. So my next guest is Abdul Latif from our member company, Plasmatherm. Welcome to the podcast, Abdul. Thank you for the opportunity, yes. It's great to talk to you again. Last time we spoke was at Semicon West in July. What has been happening new at the company since we last spoke? Plasmatherm continues to grow and continues to um, enhance the product portfolio and the geographical presence. So... The one major event uh, for us uh, in the last six months is the acquisition of thin film equipment in uh, Italy, in Milan. Um, And uh, that is an important milestone for us because it it adds another product portfolio, so it completes our uh, sputtering and PVD technology portfolio, but also gives us uh, direct presence in Benasco, in Milan, mm-hmm. uh, in the neighborhood of a very important customer. So let's talk about that a little bit, about the growth of the industry here in Europe, where we are at the Semicon Europa conference. Um, why is it important for Plasmatherm to be increasing your presence here? What's, what's driving that? Yeah, so we actually started our uh, focus on Europe uh, just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is very clear that uh, Europe in general, uh, the activity level has gone up, uh, not only in research and R&D, which was uh, strong for a number of years, but also we, are, we already started seeing a significant improvement and change in the focus on manufacturing. Um, so our key customers that have been our customers for a long time are more and more active and we want to be there to support them um, and be there to provide the services that are expected. One of the big topics of conversation here is the growth in automotive electronics. And of course that means power semiconductors and and, and uh, three, five materials. My understanding is that you guys have a long history in tools um, developed to support silicon carbide. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so Plasmatherm historically has been a company that focused on 200 millimeter and below. Um, and of course, because of that focus, we have been always involved in silicon carbide. Um, our history in silicon carbide goes way longer than uh, 25, 30 years. 
um, being involved in customers like Cree or other companies within the U.S. Uh, that were building sil- silicon carbide devices for that long. Okay. So it's kind of exciting to see that being realized now, those early investments being realized now. Because who, whoever expected that our cars would become computers on wheels, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting specifically just looking at silicon carbide and the fact that even a few years ago, nobody expected that this strong of a ramp in silicon carbide devices. Um, so it's really good to see that uh, all of the work and all of the efforts that we've been putting in over a good two decades, uh, for, even from our perspective as a small organization um, supporting equipment for silicon carbide, that all of those efforts are actually paying off. Yeah, absolutely. So now Plasma Therm headquarters is in the U.S. in Florida, I believe? That's correct. We're in Florida. There's been a lot of conversation both in Europe and in the U.S. about the various CHIPS acts being funded. And just recently in Europe, um, funds are being allocated. And then also in the U.S., I think last time we talked, everybody was waiting for those orders to start being able to be filled as companies started receiving funds. And that just started happening about a couple of months ago. Are you seeing any impact of that yet? So Plasma Therm is also unique in the sense that we actually have dedicated product lines specifically addressing the academic market vertical. Mm And we're, of course, excited to see actual money starting to flow and actual orders being received by us to fill some of these uh, requests for the setup of research centers that are going to be, f- that are funded by the U.S. CHIPS Act, but also the European CHIPS Act. We're starting to see significant uh, pickup in those order activities. Okay. Well, that's great. That's great to hear. Um, so... Other than that, how's the show been? What's it been like for you? Here we are Thursday, the last day. What's your feedback on that? I think the show's been great. Um, Definitely the energy level is very positive uh, in general. A lot of the conversations have been very positive. And that's a good contrast against the overall uh, consensus over the last couple years in terms of the slowdown and everything Mm -hmm. else. So I think the industry is optimistic about the, the, the upturn being there in the very near term. Um, yeah, my last question for you is the theme of this year's Semicon Europa was uh, shaping a sustainable trillion dollar era. And now we know that the demand exists to become aspirationally a trillion dollar um, industry by the end of the decade. Uh, the slowdown kind of extended a timeline, delayed things a little bit. But there's also a lot of um, you know hurdles that we need to get over to be able to support that. For instance, um, Ajit Manocha was talking about the need for up to 100 new fabs by the end of the decade. So what's Plasmatherm's role in all of that, do you yeah. think? So interestingly enough, I think the industry realized that we don't only need leading-edge chips. We actually need all kind of chips Mm -hmm. to make the final product. And that realization really came about in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has tremendously helped us because we're not the leading-edge 7-nanometer technology node uh, providers. We're, We're supporting everything but. Right. Um, and the excitement is around every part of that industry. Mm-hmm. And in order for us to achieve that trillion dollar target, we obviously have to grow in every aspect of the industry and not only one particular part. 
Exactly. For instance, we're really focused on heterogeneous integration here, yes. which is now becoming a big part of the story and a part of the, the solution. Um, and I know that Plasma Therm's tools support a lot of heterogeneous integration. Anything specific you want to point out? Uh, so nothing specific about uh, heterogeneous, but in general, talking about packaging, we have a long experience in uh, addressing packaging needs, specifically with uh, plasma dicing technology that is really an enabling and a um, sort of a complete shift in dynamics in how packaging can be done. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your time today. really enjoyed our talk. Thank you very much. I'm here with Neil O'Brien from our member company, FineTech, and he is actually here exhibiting at Productronica, which is co-located with Semicon Europa, so it's kind of nice for us to be able to reach and sit down with our members who are maybe not here at Europa, but also here at the adjacent show. So welcome to the podcast, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I think all those worlds overlap anyway. So I think you're right. And you know, it's so funny because we both come from New England, mm -hmm. but your company, your U.S. headquarters is in... So, so we have two offices in the U.S. Um, one is in Mesa, Arizona, and the other is in, uh, in southern New Hampshire, just about an hour north of Boston. And so we're the U.S., uh, let's say, subsidiary of Fintech GmbH, which is uh, based in Berlin, Germany, where all the equipment is made. Okay. And tell me a little bit about what Fintech does. Sure. So we are an equipment manufacturer um, of high-accuracy submicron die bonders. Some might refer to them as flip-chip bonders, um, R&D prototype tabletop machines, which is really where the company started, um, selling to academia and research uh, environments and startup companies, um, but through now to full production machines as well. The other part of our business is in the surface mount uh, rework world, mm -hmm. um, because those tabletop machines sort of lend themselves to, to maybe working on a PCB versus working on maybe some advanced packaging uh, uh, devices. So we have different levels of machines uh, with mm -hmm. different uh, technologies associated with them. So, um, Would you say the main differences between the SMT world and the advanced packaging world is basically pitch and scale? <laughs> For sure, yeah. Um, you know, we're typically dealing with uh, things in the microassembly world that maybe you can't even see with the naked eye um, to be able to pick it up, align, and place it um, to that sub-micron world. Mm -hmm. You know, I usually, you know, maybe... Uh, a holiday uh, dinner conversation with people. Like, what do you do? It's like, well, we very accurately put two things together that, um, you know, the diameter of a human hair is maybe roughly 50 microns to give you a sense. And right. we're, we're doing things at the sub one micron level. Um, yeah, it still amazes me whenever I think about that because you can't even see this stuff, you know, and the technology that must go into not only placing these devices, but placing them accurately mm -hmm. is kind of mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, the tabletop systems to, to achieve that kind of accuracy, most people were always in disbelief. Um, but now that we've moved into fully automated systems, um, you know, obviously you want to help people make the first one, maybe make the first 10, but now they want to make a few thousand. And, uh, and then that's where we can maybe do the whole, as we call, prototype to production pathway now. So, yeah. so what's the advantage of that prototype to production pathway? In the academic world, in the research world, you know, many times products are designed, mm -hmm. um, you know, on a lab bench and then 
that person may not be thinking of, well, how are we going to do this when we want to scale at the volume? And, and so if, if, if we can offer the same modules and the same uh, software interface, the same uh, profiles that are developed to, to bond these devices and package these devices uh, on a tabletop system, it will then transfer very smoothly to a fully automated system. So, you know, we don't just sell machines. We also help our customers with developing the process. Right. Is there, is there a lot of adaptation from the tabletop to the production level systems? Uh, adaptation in, in what way? Well, do you have to change, tweak the processes or do you have to tweak the modules? I mean, I imagine when it's the tabletop, it's not as high speed, I guess. Throughput would, would definitely be the differentiator, but the, the actual modules themselves uh, that we develop in terms of heating technology, um, you know, bonding force, all those variables that go into to advanced packaging, they're identical from our tabletop machines to the automated machines. So in, in most worlds, they don't have to do a lot of tweaking. Right. Um, it's just a matter of when you automate it, then you start getting into pattern recognition and programming a machine to automatically uh, do the alignment, whereas in the lab, you know, the operator or the research engineer is doing some of that work manually. Um, so it's, uh, it's really turned out to be a, a very successful formula for us and, and really has um, opened the door to more process support mm -hmm. to, to really make that easier uh, for, for our customers. And that's where our application engineers come in. Um, so we have a great staff of, of, of engineers that um, welcome our customers to come, bring samples, and let's work on it in our lab, maybe ahead of even having your own machine. And so, um, you know, we were driven in the U.S. Uh, a few years ago to uh, to really look into putting a clean room in at, at the Fine Tech facility so we can really do real-world samples and not just, you know, in a, in a rough environment where you really can't bring the real thing. And uh, so that's proven very successful as well. And, and, and that's and located? In, it's located in our New Hampshire facility, so mm -hmm. about an hour north of Austin. Um, so we do have a, um, a, uh, a class 1000 clean room mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, it's been really helpful to, to make it even easier for our customers when they do receive a machine and we install it to really get them up and running as quickly as possible. And, uh, the same with our headquarters in Berlin, mm -hmm. um, our facility in Berlin has a, a very large application and a clean room that is, is utilized at a very high rate. Okay. So we're hearing a lot, obviously we follow the heterogeneous integration, um, story. Mm -hmm. And we it's finally really starting to be one of the key enablers for the future of Moore's Law. What kind of applications are you seeing now really driving your technology? So in the heterogeneous world, I mean, um, for example, I, I just uh, stopped on the way here uh, in, in, uh, in Switzerland for a quantum technology summit. And, uh, you know, a lot of startup companies working on quantum computers, uh, Heterogeneous integration was mentioned quite a number of times for some of these companies. Uh, for us, it's really about multiple dye um, mm -hmm. with different properties, maybe even different uh, chemistries as far as how they're attached. We're seeing that for us, it's it, it's okay for us. We can we have plenty of presentation space to put lots of different mm -hmm. devices uh, into the machine and and build them all onto onto one substrate. That adds quite a bit of challenges for some customers because. If, if you've already bonded a few devices onto a substrate and you need to continue to add more different devices, right. um, thermally, there's issues, chemistry, there's right, issues, right. Um, you know, keeping those surfaces ready to, to be bonded is an issue. So we've done a lot with, uh, you know, surface treatment with plasma, um, all, all sorts of technologies have to sort of come together in the heterogeneous world. So. Right. And we were talking before we got on the mics about uh, photonics and co-packaged optics that are now one of the big 
areas mm-hmm. that, of focus for the heterogeneous integration world. And I know that FinTech has been working in photonics for quite a while. For the microassembly world, as we term it, um, it's probably the, the vast majority of our business really. It comes down to you know laser attached, laser soldering to submounts, uh, VIXELs um, to substrates. In the co-package co- optics world, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, more devices being attached, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. directly to a, a, what we would say, oh, it's a, it's a typical PCB. Um, even in our rework mm-hmm. world, we've, we've had some custom applications where we're using our rework machine, but we're essentially, ta- atta- you know, attaching a, an optical component and, uh, and right. merging those two worlds together. So. so you must be well positioned to step right in as that is... Uh something that's one of your core competencies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've always had the accuracy. We've always had the different uh, modular technology, you know, very flexible to convert over, whether you need to do conduction heating or whether you need to do ultrasonic energy to bond a device or whether you need uh, convection heat, as in the rework world, to to reflow a BGA. Um, uh, All those modules are available on our machine. So, uh, yeah, we're very well positioned. That's great. So now, how has the show been over there at Productronica this week? Well, it, it's been quite busy, and I heard a, about a rail strike last night. But, uh, That's right. but uh, you know, I haven't seen an effect in the booth uh, this morning. It's yeah. been been quite busy. Um, I'm getting my steps in for sure <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, that's the new thing, right? That's okay. Right. All right. Well, it's great to talk to you, and thanks uh, for nice joining to me. See you. Thanks so much. So my next guest today is Harold Eppinger. He is from Koyong, Europe. Welcome to the podcast, Harold. No, thanks very much for the invitation. So to get started, Koyong has been a member with 3D Insights for about a year. Can you tell us a little bit about what the company does and your role? Yeah, the company is very well established in the PCB manufacturing area. So we are providing measurement system for the process, printing process, assembly process, and soldering. We have around 3,500 customers around the world, and we uh, deliver 21,000 machines plus into the market for this kind of electronic manufacturing equipment. And of course, we are established as a global company, headquarters in in, in, uh, Seoul in Korea, but we have the subsidiaries around the world. We are member now in, in this community because Semicon was already before a topic in, in Asia, mm-hmm. but not in Europe. Right. And we, after COVID and the uh, component shortage and all the activities with the CHIP Act, where there's a clear uh, potential slash focus slash need to position ourselves also in this community much better as a partner in know-how and partner also in business execution. And you have a tool, I think, is it, a, is it an optical inspection yeah, it's based on optical inspection, but we we really like to to not to discuss about inspection because inspection is more or less sorting and mm-hmm. good bad. Uh, the the power of Kuyang is utilization 3D measurement mm-hmm. data to visualize a process to understand exactly what's happening within the manufacturing process. And it doesn't matter if it's a big board or a wafer or a, a packaging, it's all the same. Right. More precise, you execute the job higher quality and less uh, failures you have in the process. That's our strength. And so it's, 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 yes, it's an optical inspection system, but it's really using 3D technology to have precise data. And these are utilized not only just for good, bad, it's really to visualize exactly where the process is and how to improve. Okay. And you were talking about your expansion into Europe. 
Um, and that has this been driven? This has been driven by the European Chips Act. I, I would say even even before we started to to invest, uh, let me say for our clients, the Chip Act is the driver. We are established in Europe since the, the big subsidiary in Europe, two thousand nine. Okay. Yeah, and the company was established in two thousand three. So we are just a little bit over the twenty years old, but we get really number one in the market share in this kind of technology. So the reason why why we entered is we have seen even one and a half, two years ago, that there is a change in in mindset in in the topic of reshoring, mm-hmm. and semicon business was already in Europe, mm-hmm. but it phased out. Just mm-hmm. many we have some nice areas in France, in Belgium. And some areas also in Germany already since a long time, but the the power of of of, of semicon was not longer in Europe, and that's what we see, and we have seen it that there will be a trend, and we prepared before because I have seen the products already two years ago or three years ago in in Asia, in in Korea, in Taiwan, Singapore, all there, mm-hmm. but not here, and suddenly there is a visibility that reshoring is a topic. And uh, reconsider, we can do it. We are able to do it. Why to hell give it to Asia? And that's what we see already. People are thinking about, and that's why we try to consult the people with our technology, having the experience already, right. and uh, transfer it to Europe. What are the driving applications for your processes? Um, we are focused in the area of uh, wafer bumping. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next layer is our focus is on uh, VLPE. We can, but the most and strongest growing area and area of interest is the advanced packaging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Advanced packaging is exactly what I what, uh, the the backend is moving towards the PCB structure, and the PCB structure is moving toward this kind of. Packaging, mm-hmm. so the worlds are merging. Mm-hmm. And I had a speech once this year, and he said, "The best of two worlds are moving to together, mm-hmm. and will enable a new business field, new business area." So it's really the the between back end and the PCB process. Right. So Koyang is positioning itself to serve those areas. Yeah, that's great. In the quality assurance, in the process visibility. So it's just. It's so tiny, small that you cannot rework. Yeah. So right. the, the better the process is, mm-hmm. more output you have. That's the goal, and we know that this is this is exact our world in the PCB, and we can really transfer our know-how, our experience into this world. Okay, that's great. So you're here exhibiting at Productronica. Yes. Uh, how's the show been this year? Um, amazing. I really have to say, uh, somebody asked me the same question. I said, what, what, what do you think about the Productronica? What did you expect? And I said, I did not expect so many people. Mm-hmm. We have been busy from the first minute on. And it's quite uh, interesting to see that people are much more open-minded to look not just for one application. They're looking from two. They would like to learn. And it seems really that the people are looking for the next generation of technology. Mm-hmm. And from my opinion, I'm, I think I'm more than 30 years in on, on the Productronica, and I have to say, this is really a strong commitment and a great job also from the Munich Fairground mm-hmm. uh, to provide this space for this show. 
Okay, sounds great. Thanks for joining me of today. Of course, you're welcome. Okay, so I'm here with Dieter Ratai from DR Yield, one of our community members, and he's been at the show this week. So we're going to talk a lot about what he's been seeing and hearing. Welcome to the podcast, Dieter. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. So last time we spoke, we were, was at Semicon West. At Semicon West, yeah. So we're here at Semicon Europa this week. How has the show been for you? This show is a, a good sign that uh, the European semiconductor industry is uh, is vibrant. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great show this year. There's a lot of uh, interesting talks. Uh, we had a lot of uh, very good conversations and, and meetings uh, aside of the show and in the in the forums. It's great to be back here after Semicon West. And uh, we are looking forward also to going to Ch Semicon Japan in, in three weeks. I have a question for you about this because Semicon Japan is right on the heels of Semicon Europa. How are these shows different? What's the experience as an attendee? Are you hearing some of the same messaging or is things different? I think the site programs are different. For mm -hmm. instance, the Fab Managers Forum here is really a, a great event uh, where a lot of decision makers of the device makers are attending the event. And that is certainly a unique aspect of the Europe show. Okay. And so what do you hope to see at Semicon Japan? Well, at Semicon Japan, we will be uh, exhibiting. Okay. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, expand our presence in the Japanese market again. So what did you come here to learn at the Fan Managers Forum? Yeah, this this gave a great overview about the investments going on in the industry, the, the move to silicon carbide of mm -hmm. the whole industry. And um, that's a really good, concise summary of uh, uh, the state of the industry in Europe. So how does the information you get influence the decisions you make for your company? Well, one could say that the underlying technology makes no big difference for the data, but there are subtle differences mm -hmm. and we have accounted for uh, these things and we have a very strong presence in the wide band gap semiconductor market with our product. Okay. And this is where, where we put our focus on. So, and silicon carbide is wide band gap. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Yield Watchdog, your product. What are some of the new nuances you've added to it recently? Oh, we are continuously uh, improving algorithms and uh, usability. Uh, we uh, work closely with our customers uh, and the feedback from our customers to uh, develop exactly the product that they need and that gives the most value for their data analytical needs. And it's helpful for you, the information that you're getting here is going to help guide that? Oh, absolutely. We have also learned a lot about the potential that the data has for our customers here okay. at the show. And how were the parties last night? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to be honest, I just uh, returned back from California uh, on the weekend, so uh, I had to keep the parties short yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks so much, Dieter. It's always good to okay. chat with you. Thank you very much okay. for having me. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so my next guests are our member company, DSV, and I'm speaking with Spencer Wall, Jaron Hux, and Michael Murray. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Nice, uh, thrilled nice to be us. here. Nice having us. So let's talk a little bit about what DSV does and then maybe why Semicon Europa is an event that you're participating in. Can you tell me a little bit about DSV and your each of you and your roles there? Spencer, why don't you start? Yeah, sure. So a little background on DSV. DSV is the third largest global logistics provider by revenue. We operate in over 80 countries, 
1,600 offices and logistic facilities, and 75,000 employees. But beyond those numbers, it's our culture and our values. And it's all about customers first, best performance, and true collaboration that really separates us from the other logistics companies. I'm within our DSB solutions group, and specifically, we're focused on strategic inventory management, helping companies really recognize uninterrupted revenue operations and improving their working capital efficiency. And especially with the path to one trillion, right? The, it, the additional capacity is going to be have enormous stress on the supply chain and the supplier network, and that's where we've been focused on. Okay. Great. How about you, Sharon? Um, I'm actually uh, based in uh, the Netherlands, mm-hmm. uh, regional responsible for the semiconductor uh, development within Europe, um, traveling across the globe, uh, meeting up with people, uh, seeing all these interesting things that are going on within the industry. One of your questions is, what's the main reason DSV has a stand here? just to expose the brand to the market mm-hmm. because we are a top three logistic service provider yet in many occasions not recognized as mm-hmm. such by our clients. So okay. we really are going in quite aggressive, putting in the brand in the market, meeting up with the clients and just showing what we can do in terms of bringing value to, do- to their chain. So I would imagine that pretty much all of the exhibitors here and at Productronica are potential customers for you. Potential or existing. And existing. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the clarification, yeah. really. Okay. And how about you, Michael? I'm, I'm Michael Murray. I'm the Senior Director of Operations for DSV Inventory Management Solutions, working with Spencer. And really the reason that I'm here and that we're here is to help these companies understand that we can really connect the supply chain from end to end. We have our logistics services and can move inventory around the world, but we can also help them decide how much inventory that they need, how best to place that inventory around multiple sites, and really provide like seamless operations for them. Okay. So one of the themes this year is shaping a sustainable trillion-dollar era. How can DSV help make that happen? Yeah, so I will tell you, you know, DSV is at the forefront of innovation, technology, and digital transformation. With the tremendous amount of footprint and warehouses that we're putting up, we're really focused on that sustainability aspect. So here in Europe, we offer our our customers uh, a completely certified sustainable fuel option for all modes of transport, whether it be air, uh, road, or any type of warehousing. And I think Jerome, especially with his European knowledge, can talk about the, the, the new warehouses we put up and how they, they're all about the net zero aspect as well. Yeah, exactly. You're, uh, you're correct. Um, the ambition is, or at least the goal, to um, create all these new warehouses within Europe and they all need to be self-sustainable. They need to have like this. Uh, in the Netherlands, we have a great example. Uh, it's near uh, the city of Eindhoven. That's also where the headquarters of ASML is uh, based. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a self-sustainable building. It's a BREAM certified. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, the Dutch Housing Council. They certify uh, buildings based on how sustainable they are. And we were sitting at like uh, 90% sustainability, self-sustainable. There are... F- 4,800 solar panels on the roof. Wow. We have these electronical trucks that are being charged via the solar uh, grid. And we do all these deliveries to all these uh, clients, especially within the Brainport region. We have have quite a few. 
we make these deliveries carbon neutral with that's these uh, electric trucks. So that's really exciting. And this is also the philosophy in terms of every new building or a warehouse that DSV or an office that DSV is building worldwide needs to comply to this net zero strategy. So self-sustainable, uh, solar panels, uh, uh, collecting water for flushing toilets, washing your hands. Uh, yeah, you name it. Uh, and uh, we are uh, at least trying to achieve uh, net zero before 2030. I think this is the complete target. It's your goal. Yeah. yeah. That's excellent because that's one of the areas of the industry. You know, all the companies are trying to achieve net zero on their own, but there's different scopes, the scope one, two, three. Is this a scope three for them? Basically transport of their products. Does that become scope three for them? That's my understanding. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about how you're helping your customers achieve their net zero emissions? I mean, clearly you're on your way to achieving your own net zero goals. And what can you do to support your customers hit their net zero goals? Um, I think Sp Spencer already t touched uh, this topic by uh, sustainable uh, fuel uh, uh, offers where, uh, where we uh, introduced uh, the sustainable fuel project. The majority of the airlines and the truckers and uh, within the ocean freight, <laughs> they uh, offer sustainable fuel offers. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we bake that in in our offers towards uh, the clients. Maybe it costs you two, three, four, five percent extra, but in the end it mm -hmm. will reduce emission because we have the sustainable fuel project. And, and we see that now dynamics are changing from where customers were like pushing away from this responsibility to embracing it. So right, the momentum okay. is changing oh, and that's, that's a excellent. good thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's finally hitting home. <laughs> Hopefully not too late. That is a real consideration. So when you're talking about alter, did you say alternate Alter fuels? Certified alternate fuels, fuels, which very unique is that we offer that certified sustainable fuel option for all modes of transport in Europe. So whether it's ocean, air, mm -hmm. or road, they have that option within that impacts, you know, okay. they can recognize it. What about it in the three. US? It's coming for electric, absolutely, but not for all modes of transport yet. Okay. And Europe is definitely on, you know, is leading that sustainable direction. Okay. Okay, and another thing you were talking about is uh, the digital transformation. What did you mean by that, Michael? So one thing that's really important on the path to a trillion is that we all grow together. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that DSV can help achieve that is by providing this huge amount of data that we have about our customers and about our suppliers and making it transparent through the whole supply chain. So we can see, you know, how our customers are using parts. Uh, is there season, Are there seasonal trends? Can we connect that to our freight group? so that we can bump up routes during heavier traffic times, but also with our suppliers, they can see how our customers are using their products, um, how they need to adjust their capacity. And as we continue to grow, it's really important that it's not just the big suppliers that understand when their tools will go into new factories, but it's the suppliers that support them mm -hmm. and the component suppliers support that. So you're getting into the tier three, tier four, tier five suppliers, mm -hmm. and really having that whole network informed of what's happening. Um, so we're in, in the process of implementing new tools that take advantage of AI and ML techniques to help prepare that data and synthesize that data in a way that it's shareable, uh, creating dashboards that customers and suppliers can access. So they always have a view of, of what's happening in the whole supply chain. 
That's excellent. Okay, well, I want to thank you all for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you, Francoise. Thank you. Thank you. There's lots more to come, so tune in next time to the 3D Insights Podcast. The 3D Insights Podcast is a production of 3D Insights, LLC.